If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. You know, I find this whole strike thing with Bethany Frankel so interesting. And I mean, who knows where this is going to go? I mean, I I really don't know. I, I really, I don't have all the answers, guys. But I found this chat with Peppermint from RuPaul's Drag Race so interesting for so many reasons. I wanted to reshare it. She actually talks about the working conditions on Drag Race. And it's so relevant to everything that's going on now with Bethany Frankel and the strike you know, about how there were, there, there, there is no union and there were no rules and they would do these long days, things that just really wouldn't necessarily exist if you were an actual actor or actress. So I found that so interesting. I mean, of course, we also talk about drag race and everything else, but I want to reshare this chat with Peppermint that we had still in our first year, October 28th, 2020. Man, I don't know. Did I know what I was doing then? I'm not so sure. So sit back, have your coffee, have your wine. Happy Sunday. What do you guys think about what Bethany's doing? And enjoy this chat with Miss Peppermint. Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Miss Peppermint. Hello. Hi, David. How are you today? I'm fabulous. Thank you yeah. very much for having me. Thank you for stopping by. Now, where are you? Are you in New York? N- um, no, I'm not, sadly. I mean, I, my soul and heart are always in New York, but I'm Zooming from you today from Vancouver. Well, you're not missing so much. I don't know at what point you left New York, but I've been here the whole time, and it's just, yeah. it's quiet. Like, even now that it's open, it's just quiet out there. Yeah, well, I've actually only left a week ago, so it's not so I'm not it's not bad, but and I'll be back. I'm only out of town for work, so I really respect you know referencing the the pandemic and everything that happened this over the summer and the whole year. Um, I really it just made me have so much more respect. Not to get too deep right away, but it really did make me have so much more respect for the city of New York. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to hate New York, Um, but seeing what we went through and then seeing how we collectively sort of really bounced back from it, um, you know, because I think the pandemic really took a toll on everyone in the beginning, not that it, it, especially, I guess, for the reason that we didn't know what was going on. And so it was like a shock and a surprise to, I think, a lot of people. Um, and there was definitely more panic. And so I think we handled that well. And we, uh, just like we handled, you know, coping after 9-11. I just think it's, you know, so I'm, I'm in that much more in love with the city. I was ready to move before the pandemic. And now I'm like, you know what? This is my kind of city. 
Really? <laughs> so like the pandemic kind of re-energized you in New York? Yeah, it just really made me see, who, look, it really drew a line and some people needed to, to leave. Some people had to leave. Some people wanted to leave. Everybody has their different reasons and I respect it. But I, I, there was a notion of, you know, like, oh, some of y'all are just bailing on the city at a time when a city is only a city be, because of the people. It literally is the definition of a bunch of, a lot of people. And so if everyone leaves, it's just an area um, and a, empty buildings at best. And so New York City is only what it is because of the humans that are there giving their energy, doing, you know, interacting and all of that stuff. And I know that it wasn't safe to do all that stuff. And there's still obviously a question of safety when it comes to the pandemic for any city. But I really do think that, you know, the thought of like, I'm just gonna desert the city and then I'll come back when, it, when the rent is cheap and when I can take what I need to take from it. I think those people left, you know, right away. Um, and then there was people that, who couldn't leave, who didn't have the money, didn't have the means, don't have a house in Malibu. And, you know, I'm not mocking people who do, but I'm just saying there's people who couldn't leave. And I think those people were forced to stay and cope. And, and then they have to make the city work. It's the people who stayed who turned those, um, the restaurants and did what they needed to do to get the restaurants having outdoor seating so that this, it's nice when you walk down the street now in New York and you can eat outside. I don't know if we're gonna be in the winter, uh, but apparently those are there to stay. And so I think all of the things that made the city run efficiently, um, during much more efficiently during the pandemic, during the height of the pandemic, the, all those things that stayed, obviously the mayor gets some credit, ugh, but it's the people who stayed, the workers, the people who, who needed to stay and had to stay, and they made the city better. So New York City is, has come out um, much more focused, I think, and possibly even better, and definitely much more efficiently running before the pandemic. I mean, since after the pandemic than we were before the pandemic. And if we needed to get rid of, you know, the, trim our own fat from the people who were just too weak to stay, then so be it. I know that sounds very harsh. I just woke up. No, I mean, that's okay. I mean, I, I say the same thing. I'm like, I mean, wait, are, aren't we supposed to be the toughest people like in the whole yeah. world? Like, I'm like, this is my home, man. I'm not leaving. Sorry. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like, I don't understand. I mean, I, I thought of leaving too during the pandemic and then I'm just mm -hmm. like, I don't understand like what I'm, it's like, there's, it's still New York. There's still things to do. There's still life here, people. Yeah. Well, if the pandemic was only in New York City, and it was literally called the New York virus, and it was only in New York City, and the minute you left New York City, you were no longer susceptible, then of course, get out, let's leave, get out of here, we need to save our lives. But being as though all those people who left New York City when New York City was at the height of the pandemic are, I believe, partially to blame for why the rest of the country, and it's not just New Yorkers, but they were certainly, there were some carriers of coronavirus leaving this the city when they left and they were or they or they were completely uh they weren't carriers and they were going to a place that already had it's a problem for the whole world it's a pandemic it's in every city and state and country and so where are you run, what are you running from totally <laughs> i agree okay i'm ranting <laughs> listen you could rant here where where are you from originally like you're not you're not from this area are you 
I'm not born in New York City. I was born in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. And I moved to New York as a young college student. Did you always know, like, growing up, like, it's New York, it's New York, it's New York? Just let me get to New York? No, it was Philly. Um, totally Philly. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't get accepted into that college. So I, I applied to New York, which you, I, I would have assumed would have been more exclusive and harder to get into. And it was, I got in. <laughs> and then you came to New York and the rest is history. When, mm-hmm. did, when did you start doing drag? Like, did you do drag like before New York, before college, like back in high school? I mean, my first time in, in drag was in high school in something called the Homely Court, which is where they would, and that's a terrible name, but that's what they would, uh, it was basically everyone cross-dressed during homecoming. And it was like a mock homecoming court. And so, you know, you had the king and the queen and the different people. Um, and every, But everyone was cross-dressing. And so, of course, I was like, what? I have to do this. And I did, and I won. And I was hooked. I mean, look, I probably would have been wearing that skirt and those heels, even if there hadn't been a contest that day. Um, But that just gave me extra uh, permission. And everyone was cheering and, you know, it was by audience applause that I won. And so it really sealed the deal. And then I did it a couple more times. I did it every Halloween after that. Because I was in, I I think it was in, 10th grade when that happened, maybe even ninth grade. So either way, I just kept doing it every year. I found more and more excuses to get in drag. And clearly it was less about the applause and the performance than it was about me really being able to um, find an acceptable way for me to express my femininity. And, you know, cause it was not easy for teenagers to medically transition back then. So the next best thing for me was drag. And then I, mo- and then I said, well, uh, I think the fr- my first time, my first trip to New York City was a bus trip where me and my girlfriend went, her name was Nikea Rashika Thunderpussy, uh, got, in, got in drag on the Peter Pan bus to New York in the two hour bus ride. So we got off the bus in full drag. We got on not in, just in our regular clothes. And then we walked the, we walked the streets like any good self-respecting drag queen would do in the 90s. And so we were walking the streets. I counted the hours, and I'll never forget the number. It was 14 hours in heels, walking around the streets of New York from Midtown to all the way downtown. 14 hours. We took a couple of rests. I'm sure we sat down in a few places. We had no money. We didn't go to any club, not one club, not one bar. I was too young. And we just walked around and drag and went, we're talking to the people on the street and they loved it. And so do we. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back 
and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Honey Love, you guys know how I feel about Honey Love, but it's because I've got Honey Love Shaper and I've sent it to all of our regular co-hosts, Kim D, Rachel, you could tell, Sarah Fraser, I could keep going and they all love it. So why wouldn't I love it? If my girls are happy, I'm happy, right? But Honey Love really is the best shaper. I mean, it's wedding season, it's the summer. If you have an event coming up, you have to go to Honey Love. Their best-selling item is the Superpower Short. The Superpower Short from Honey Love has targeted compression technology that helps you distinguish between the areas you want more support and the areas where you need less compression. Brilliant, right? Their signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. It's designed to work with your body. There's also a booty lifter, but it doesn't stop there. Listen, Honey Love is more than just shapewear and sculptwear. They have incredibly comfortable bras, tanks, leggings. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com velvet. Use our exclusive link to get 20 20% off honeylove.com slash velvet. And did you know, like when you started doing drag, you said like you might've been wearing that dress anyway. Like when did you, like, were you aware of the fact that it might be more than just doing drag once a year? I mean, I knew that before doing drag, you know, drag didn't like make me discover like, oh, is this something, you know, I, I kind of already knew. Um, and I just didn't have a way to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's a really delicious pot of soup on the stove and you need something to eat it out of. And so there's no bowls. So there's a dirty ashtray in the corner. You're just going to use the ashtray and drink the soup out of that because you need to do it. So, I mean, that's a weird analogy, but. Um, no, that makes I knew sense. That I, yeah, I just, I, it, was the, it was the vessel that I could use to carry my femininity, you know, and, and express it. Um, but, uh, but that pot of soup was already ready and cooking probably from birth. <laughs> How'd you come up with the name peppermint? My favorite flavor. It's a good flavor. <laughs> I mean, it's... I'll say so. What would your drag name have been? You know, they say like your pet and the street you grew up on. Like what would your, like what oh, was your yeah. first pet? Like what would it have been if you followed that? rule which is it, not really a rule. it would have been um like your first pet and then the street you grew up on pepper second street okay because my, my my dog's name was also pepper that kind of works pepper second street yeah i i never stood i i think that was i was like oh uh, but that was the analogy that we use for to find your porn name, too. I don't know if you did you know did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Because I guess they're interchangeable. Drag names and porn. Pepper Second Street. <laughs> I kind of I, I like it. 
so you were in New York and like you were on the scene and you were doing drag. So how do you go from that? How does Drag Race come about for you? And we're going to get to your new music and I have so much current stuff to talk to you about, but I like to just... Gorgeous. No, yeah. Um, I, I mean, Drag Race, uh, I don't, I've been doing drag for about 10 years by the time Drag Race came on for the season one. And they, uh, they were, initially before the show start, you know, filmed, they were asking all of, a lot of the queens in the clubs who would be, who, who's interested in trying this out, a very different situation than what it's like now. And they asked me if I wouldn't have to do it, but I didn't know what it was. And so I said, no, because I really pictured, you know, basically, I just, I guess I was scarred from shows like Jerry Springer, where, you know, you would see a drag queen or a trans woman on the show and on any of those shows. And they never really, it was always the audience poking. They were always the joke, the butt of the joke. It was never empowering. And so I just, there weren't really, there weren't any examples of shows that had queer people owning their space the way that they do on Drag Race. And so I just, I was like, this is going to be embarrassing, not good. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to be seen out of drag. I hadn't started my medical transition and I just didn't feel safe to do it. And so it was a hard no for me. Um, And, you know, because I was like, I can't be on camera and national camera, you know, like arguing and throwing drinks at each other. Like, that's what I thought it was going to be, you know? And and that's pretty much what it is, (laughs) but... (laughs) I mean, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And so, but I I decided to, to not do it, obviously. And I kept going with my career and I really poured my heart and soul into my drag career because for the because I was working as an entertainer only in New York City, which is a huge accomplishment for anybody that's ever tried to pay rent in New York City. And then um, after, you know, working for a few years and finally getting my own shows, I was able to um, perform overseas and travel. I felt like I was living the high life as a queen and a drag entertainer. And so I felt at the next point I was, I don't need drag race for my drag career. Ironically, I needed drag race for my medical transition because I, I was floating, but I didn't really have enough money to really achieve a lot. And so I, uh, before, before Obamacare became a thing, because um, even though Obama was in in 2008, Obama, the Affordable Care Act took quite a while to get to us um, and then to work its way down into like New York City. Uh, but once it finally did, the governor mandated that all transgender-related health care needed to be covered by health insurance. And that was like music to my ears. Um, and so initially when I, was, I started auditioning for Drag Race, I did it with the focus of, I just need to just do this show so that I can get the, the coins that I, that I need and want to have a better life, including my medical transition. And that was my focus. But then when I was able to get insurance, and didn't need drag race for my medical transition. I started my medical business and and then I was like, I don't really care. Here's this tape, I'm just gonna do it because I already prepared it. And then I'm gonna put it and literally in the tape, I was like, I was, you could just tell I didn't give a hell in that tape. I was like, hey, I'm Peppermint. Maybe you'll put me on, maybe you won't. And that's when they put me on. (laughs) Wow. 
when they first came to you and you said, hell no, that, that was season one, like before it even ever. Yeah. Happened. Oh yeah. It was, no one had ever seen it. That was definitely, that was season one. So like 2008, maybe. Wow. So somewhere in there, it became a thing like before you were on it, like, but it still didn't really interest you just cause you were making money. And- no, I didn't mean to skip over that. Yeah. Uh, it became, it obviously became very popular and much more popular on uh, probably around season four or five. It was obviously, it obviously was a hit from the start, but it became more and more popular. And so around season four or five, I was like, hmm, maybe I should look into this because all those places that I was traveling to internationally started to, they, finally they got it in Europe. I was traveling to Europe and initially they didn't know what Drag Race was. But then after a couple of seasons, they did. And then they started to say, oh, we want to book Drag Race Girls. And they started booking the Drag Race Girls. And then obviously it just blew up. It was like wildfire. So then you, there's nowhere you could go in the world of drag and not acknowledge Drag Race. And so when that started to happen, I was like, okay, maybe I better take a look at this. You know? And so I did. Totally. And so you were the first out trans contestant on Drag Race. Was that to be cast as an out trans? I guess it's an important distinction because there are definitely other trans women who were on the show before me, but most of them came out. Um, you know, at a, they're, they're, I don't know what the status was when they were cast, but um, it seems like they came out after the show or during the show. And for me, I came out as trans in 2012, which was years before I auditioned. Right. So like, right. Like they came out after or on the show and you came out like, so when you were cast, was that like a thing? Was that important to you? Or it was really just like, I want some coins and this could be good for my career. Did that play into it? I mean, that was all it was. I mean, no, I mean, obviously I wanted to do a good job, but I really wanted to focus on just, just what do I need to do to, let me just do this show and get this money and let's get out of here. And so that was my, my thought. Uh, and to be honest with you, my whole sort of, um, my, my plan, my thought, my thinking behind it was, I want to make sure that I represent drag well, because I want to get far in the show. I don't want to just make an achievement and then be like, well, her drag's not that good, but she's the first trans woman. I didn't want that. And so I wanted to have to be a good queen and, have, you know, nice outfits and do what I can do well on the show. And so that was my focus. I didn't need to really focus on the trans part of it. Um, And so I didn't, you know, uh, I was just kind of, I wanted to make it a non-issue. I've talked about it with my, with a couple of close friends of mine. And should I walk in there wearing a t-shirt that says, should I do this? Should I, or should I just go in there and be like, yep. And what? And that was kind of my, my approach. That makes sense. Is there, like, how important do you think is drag race, like, in the drag community? You know, because I think, like you said, like, you were making a living before traveling all over, and there's so many drag queens that make such a good living at it. Like, has it become this thing now where if you're a working drag queen now, it's like, that's, like, the gold standard? Like, is that a misconception? Well, I mean, anyone who does drag definitely, again, is aware of drag race. So it would... We can't really say it's just a non-issue. There's certainly people who don't want to do it. Um, and there's probably some people who shouldn't do it. Um, and 
you know, for different reasons. It's, 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 it's less about, it's a TV show first. It's first a TV show. So it's more about the cameras and the, and the, the production aspect of it and the, you know, the, the, all of that stuff. Drag is just kind of a given. Um, and so it, I think it is still a factor. Uh, some people think it's unfair because it's very mainstream and it, some people say that it takes the, sort of takes the teeth out of drag, you know, and I think that they might have a point, but anything that becomes mainstream becomes more homogenized. Like that's, that's I think that's the, def again, that's the definition. You know, it, it has to appeal to a, a, every, as many people as possible. The more people it appeals to, the more mainstream it is. But the more mainstream it is, the more it has to appeal to people, which means they might not get inside jokes. So you have to make the jokes basic. <laughs> From like a TV point of view, like to your point, it's a TV show. When you got there, how was the actual filming? Like, was it what you expected having it be on all those years? Or were you just like, you know, like, did you get used to the cameras? Like the actual just filming of it as a TV show? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, 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 it um, I mean, I'd been around cameras a bit before, so I wasn't like a fish out of water, but it was my first experience with being a contestant on reality TV. And the nature of the show or the way that they run the show is incredibly um, secretive. Uh, you know, there's just, it's just a lot more cagey. Um, and so, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize, I knew we were gonna be on a show with RuPaul that we were gonna be competing and that there would be challenges and cameras. I didn't realize, for instance, that there's a, there's a tactic that they use that they call hard ice, where they don't want anyone to talk or develop any relationships with each other unless it's on camera. And so obviously there's times when you're not on camera. Um, uh, like when you're going, traveling to and from the set or when you're at the hotel or all that. So they keep all the contestants separate so that the only time we're really around each other is when the cameras are rolling. And so that's an unnatural, that's unnatural to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and they would cut the cameras and then you'd be mid-conversation, they'd, the, they'd be like, shh. And you, so you just have to wait. And then you could keep talking once they roll the cameras again. Well, yeah, that's not, a nat that's not natural. What about RuPaul? How is, like, were you, how is RuPaul? Ru's great. Um, Ru is, you know, the queen of the show and, uh, you know, is an absolute trailblazer. Uh, you know, the, surprisingly, we spent a lot less time with Ru. It's not like we're lounging around and going out together. You know, it's like, it's like we all work at the same place. That's kind of how it feels, you know? Right. And RuPaul's there to do a job, especially many seasons in. Yeah. <laughs> what about, like, from a drag point of view, like, growing up, like, I mean, like, did you look up to RuPaul? Like, I mean, how was that? I mean, there weren't many role models, I would assume. Of a hundred percent. I mean, Ru was, I think, the first working drag queen that I ever kind of made that connection that this person is a work, you know, a drag queen and this is what they're doing and you know, I could just see that um, uh, the package so clearly. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Oh my word! Um, <laughs> Seriously. But when when Rue was on, quite literally, when Rue was on VH1, I was watching her music videos and like Supermodel. 
there was a moment in time where I was like, I'm confused. I don't know who this is or what's going on, but I'm with it. Yeah, I don't know who this lady is, but yeah, sign me up, you know? You're like, I, I am here for it. Yeah. What about, is it clear, you know, so like you were runner up, that which is a great place to finish. Like, was it clear that like, okay, like Sasha was going to win? Like, is it clear kind of like when you get there, like who's going to end up where or just, you no. can't tell? Uh, no, no. When we first got there, I, um, Sasha wasn't the person that I was focused on as the winner. The two people, like day one, the two people that I was focused on as the winners were Eureka and Valentina. They were the, the, the um, personally, I was more personally threatened by those two. Um, not from a competition standpoint. Um, they were just extremely polished and extreme together. Uh, Trinity's performance and, and in the show and kind of her personality came across very differently on day one of season nine than it did later on. Um, and so initially she just seemed mean and bitchy, like that's it, you know what I mean, for, to me. Um, and so I didn't realize that she was a pageant queen. And you know, when, you, when you've been in pageants like Eureka and, and Trinity, um, drag pageants, then you develop a certain skill. I think that's pretty much everybody understands that now after having seen the show for so many seasons. And, but Trinity was, she psyched us out because she was, she was displaying more of a, like a club kid kind of look on her day one. And so she, I didn't know she was a pageant queen. Um, later on, her professionalism and her experience as a pageant queen spoke just, it was like, it was very apparent. And she was always the first ready. She was always the first done. She, Rude would say, make an outfit. She'd make three. And I was like, oh. And so then quickly, she became the, to me, the threat. Uh, and then soon after was Shay. Um, this was only a few episodes in. And so the first two were Valentina and Eureka. Then later on in the season, Shay and Trinity were my front runners. I was like, oh, okay, they're gonna, one of them is gonna win. And this was like halfway through the season. I didn't even know. I was just praying I would make it to the next round. And so then that was that. Obviously, um, at, when we became top four, it was supposed to be a top three. And that was not planned. You know, I was supposed to be eliminated. And I was going to be eliminated. But I think my performance in, the, um, in that final episode, or in the final challenge, rather, made them change their mind. And they, you could tell. They stopped the, they were like, okay, hold up. And we were waiting. Like, they eliminated me because they eliminate everyone, but they eliminated me first. And that was the one that you always get what you want. When you're filming, get the most important take first. <laughs> and so they, they, they sent me home. And then um, we were all backstage. We were about to get, that was it. We were about to get out. And had we just gotten out of um, drag, we would have, you know, washed our faces and gone home. And those, and they would have had on camera, Peppermint being eliminated, all of us being eliminated, but that they were, their focus was, the three of them as the finale. And then they would have called the girls back and done the finale with those three. But while we were getting ready to get on, out of you know, drag, they called, they were like, stop, stop, come back in, put that back on, come back in. And we were like, what's going on? And so we, you know, we obviously went back in 
we, and they said something went wrong. We didn't get the proper take, you know, like that's what the, the line they were feeding us. They were just like, oh, it, it, we, none of that was real, worked. We have the, the tape deleted. And so we were like, oh God. And so they brought us back on and then we were waiting and I was like, we have to do all this again. Um, and then they were like, actually, we're keeping all four of you. And it was like, oh! and we, and so that was obviously what aired. That's what we, you know, were surprised. So then later on when it, you know, we, we just went about our normal lives. And then almost a year later it was time to film the finale. And we filmed the finale. Uh, we didn't know what it was going to be. We were, you know, we were very kind of unprepared because there was no, there was no model to look at that beforehand. There had never been a top four with a lip sync sort of smackdown, you know. Were you shocked just in general, like how far you got on the competition or did you show up saying like, oh, I'm gonna take uh, this? No, I was, I was shocked and thankful <laughs> and very grateful. I was just happy to, to hang on another day. It wasn't until a, towards the end, until the end was in sight that I was like, oh, I have a good shot at this. Was Drag Race like easier or harder than you expected or pretty much the competitions were harder? Just really harder mm -hmm. but it's not just because of the competition it's because of the lack of sleep because of the long filming hours you know any filming hour over on a tv set is can, is about 12 hours if it's if it's non-union which ours was because we were not union if it's reality it can be 16 or more it can be as many hours as they want and so and because we weren't employees we were just contestants so they could have kept us there for 24 hours i think you know um, and so, you know, there were moments when we were leaving there at, you know, 11 or 12 at night, getting, getting home at like one and having to be up and in the van at 6am again. When's that's the last tough. time you talked? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, no sleep. When's the last time you talked to RuPaul? Um, probably at DragCon. Do you love DragCon? Or is it just a long weekend and it's work? I mean, it's work. I really do enjoy it. I do. It is a lot of work. It's, it's, it's honestly equally both. It's become a huge thing. It's a huge thing. Although I don't know what's going to happen. This, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. So after Drag Race, before we get to all the exciting stuff you're up to now, like the immediate mm -hmm. after effect, like did you see like an immediate change in your career like you said like people want to book drag race girls was it just like an explosion after that or no you were working really consistently before and went back to working really consistently after it aired it was tough i mean there was a moment in time where they wanted to restrict how much we were working uh there was a moment in time also with you you kind of wanted to take a break after doing something so exhausting and then there was a moment in time where like you know you you needed to work, you know, but you didn't want to just make the wrong decisions in the wrong time. And so it really is an interesting time. And then did you see one big thing that happened after Drag Race in your career? Or does this bring us to the amazing Head Over Heels? Because I want to get into Head Over Heels. I had a lot, I mean, a lot of the, the, basically the year after Drag Race is filled with touring and meeting people and, you know, traveling a lot and just kind of doing all those things. Individually, they weren't like the most newsworthy events. They were just me traveling and performing. Um, obviously, 
things like a Broadway run or another TV show are more, um, are bigger, you know, events. How did Head Over Heels come about? I auditioned for it. They were auditioning for the role and uh, my my agent recommended that I do it and I did. And and I got it, obviously. (laughs) Were you just like, was that like a pinch me moment? Like I'm gonna star on Broadway? Yeah, I went to school. No, it wasn't. But I mean, I was very excited about it. I, I, I understood the reverence, but it was also, I'd gone to school for acting. So it was a big accomplishment personally, but then also publicly, you know, with the um, label and the distinction of being the first out trans woman cast in a, to play a lead in a Broadway musical uh, or originate a Broadway principal role. Um, it's a mouthful, but it's a bit, it's a it's a very nice addition to my resume. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's very. Did you love playing Pythio? It just seemed like such a fun part. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a tough. It was very tough to do because just creating the role and going to all of the the moment in time where you're rehearsing for eight hours a day and then you have to perform at night. And then they're changing the lines and changing the thing. Like you, what you want to do is repetition. So you know, you feel prepared what you're going to do tonight. But when they're like, you're on and whatever you rehearsed is wrong. So just make, work it out. You know, here's the, new, here's the new script. Here's all 200 pages of the new script. Go on stage right now. Like that's really stressful. Memorize it and go. <laughs> I don't even know how you would do that. I, there was moments in time where I were, I'm like, okay, my song starts in, in 10 seconds. Or I'm the next person that the, the king says the line and then I'm my lines after the king. Wait, what's my line? What's my line? Like that happened, you know? Did you love, I mean, it was such a good show. Did you just love being a part of it? Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm really thankful for, for that, having had the opportunity, of course. But, you know, this, this show is, was also very, um, it just wasn't a show, you know, it wasn't just a show for me. Uh, it was a show that was extremely progressive and very diverse. And especially when it comes to queerness and and body positivity and gender. And these are things that, you know, I think a lot of people just, let's just put it this way. Before 2020, people had a certain approach to a lot of these subjects. I think after 2020, people have a different approach to them. And I think that the musical probably would have been a lot more um, successful and more, you know, slightly more mainstream had we opened next year versus a year and a half ago, you know. I could see that. Did you feel like a difference between like the New York crowd that came versus like, you know, the tourists that went to their concierge and this was recommended for the night out? You know, I don't really know because a lot of people were definitely, I, I couldn't tell where everyone was, other than my friends, I couldn't tell where everyone was from. There certainly were like older people who were like Broadway, you know, I mean, look, most of the people who came were at least, they came either because they knew the subject matter and they, and they, they wanted to see that, or if they didn't know the subject matter, they came for the Go-Go's music. Which means, you know, you go goes. They were a punk band, you know. They were a rock band, you know. You had to be a little progressive to kind of, or at least, you know, with it, you know. Nope, we didn't get people that thinking they were going to have a night at the opera, you know. And so, our crowd was relatively. We only had one red hat 
if you know what I mean. Um, and who walked out halfway through the show, not surprisingly. But otherwise, everybody was good to go. Who was the red hat? I don't know. Somebody in the audience. Oh, wow. Who was wearing a Make America Great Again hat, which obviously is, they, they might feel some kind of way if they're watching a play about a Black trans woman and, you know, lesbians. <laughs> Seriously. So that person left. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you grow up, like, loving the Go-Go's? Like, were they a band that you... Yeah, I mean, they were definitely, like, way at the top of my list when it came to female rock bands. Um, and it wasn't until later... I mean, of course, I knew so many of their songs. They're, they're, they're hits. So that even if you don't know, like, you can't turn on a TV without hearing a commercial of it. There's some Go-Go's music. And so uh, I was very aware. Obviously, they were the the... They were the music that they were putting out, and some of their earlier hits were a little before my time. But nevertheless, I've always loved them, and I had the chance to work with Belinda Carlisle in 2012, just on a fluke. She needed some drag performers to, to back her up um, on a, in a concert, and so I did in 2012. And then years later, in 2018, hello, we're we're. Here we are in a music. I'm in your musical. You're singing the songs. Mm -hmm. So let's get into your music. Like, who were your like musical? Who did you look up to musically? I know Carol King. I just read somewhere. I forgot where I read it. Was like a influence. Like, who were your musical influences? Well, I think. I mean, of course, I absolutely love Carol King, and she wrote. You know, a majority of the hits that we <laughs> listen to. Uh, you know, from the from, from the '60s on, yeah. um, but um, I'd say my personal musical influences, uh, the music that I just naturally gravitated to, were more hip hop and R and B and and soul um, from any era. But definitely, you know, when I was a youngster uh, in the '80s and '90s, I'd say '90s, um, you know. R&B and sort of neo-soul were the music are some of my favorite genres of music. But I, if I had to put a name on, you know, people like Prince, people like Stevie Wonder and Janet Jackson, those are my like all-time favorites, you know. Prince is way up there for I me. mean, you, nobody can say anything. It, there's nothing, really, there's, there's nothing, nothing to yeah. say. I mean... I don't know. It's like un-American not to like Prince. And I, I don't know. To me, Prince is the biggest musical genius like of our living generation, but that's just I agree. my opinion. I, like, just, I, would agree. I, mean, I think there's a lot of people that agree with you. Like whether you're a fan or not, just true like genius. Every instrument, every part, and all of, and, and this probably goes beyond the average music listener, but like, you know, having written all of that music, when you... I, I, I worked in a nightclub, I, and then that's the end of the story. <laughs> I worked at a nightclub years ago, and we had a band where we would play cover songs every week, and we would choose new songs, and I would do all kinds of songs. I would even try things that, you know, weren't necessarily my favorite, just to try something new. And most of those songs, we, I would always choose pop and rock, pop and hip-hop songs, and uh, soul songs, and things like that. And, you know, the band would, more times than not, the band would be like, they would bemoan having to do my song because 
they didn't translate well. You need, those songs that are made electronically kind of need to be electronic, m many of them. Not all of them, but many of them. Prince music, whether he made it electronically or played their instruments live, however they were, every part that was written, it just translates to any genre. You could turn it into anything and it will, it will hold up because it has all the parts. And, Interesting. And, the, and the band would be like, oh, this, this works great. And we, we, could turn, we could do a Prince song as a reggae song or as a, something that felt more like classical music or jazz. And it would work because all of the parts are there, if that makes any sense. I never uh, thought of it other, like that, huh? Yeah, there's other songs that, that are not as thoroughly written. Not just the lyrics, but like the instrumental parts, you know, and those, those are important things. They're like building blocks, you know? Interesting. And it just, it takes you into a whole nother world. Like that's the thing with Prince. It's like, it's a whole, it's like a language. It's like a whole nother, it's not music. It's just like a... Right? I, and like all have, the proteges, like the whole, it's yeah. just like a whole world. I've asked, it's a, it's a world, it's a universe. I've asked myself so many times after listening to Prince and sitting down, I'm just like, God, what, I, his brain. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Prince is a big inspiration. <laughs> That's a good one. What about, I know you've worked with a lot of different people. Like, tell me about working with Debbie Harry, who's another... I love Yeah, Debbie. I've worked with Debbie many, many times. We are, I consider her a friend. Uh, and we have a single that we released together uh, last year. Um, and uh, I, I've known Debbie for now. I mean, look, I was a fan before I was anything else with Debbie, but um, I've known her for now more than 10 years. I can't even believe it. And... Um, I think she's just amazing. She's really cool. She's just so chill and cool and very spunky at the same time. Um, and so being around her and, and hearing her opinion and some stories that she'll, she'll tell has just always been um, a pleasure. Has she ever told you a story where you're just like, that can't be real like that's just so out there? We yeah, I mean, her, her stories, she has an answer to everything with a story. So yes, <laughs> that's and as like, far as I'll go. And like she, you know, she was like a big supporter of just like all things like the community and just everything like way back from the beginning. As she, I don't think that ever wavered. I mean, I don't know, you know, we haven't, so. again, we, we, but I don't think that ever wavered. So yeah, I don't think so. So talk to me about your new music, A Girl Like Me. Where does this come mm -hmm. from? I mean- Letters to my lovers, like, is this, tell me about like the influence of this new music and talk to me. Well, uh, I was in a relationship about a year, uh, just a little over a year ago. And uh, it's one of the best relationships I've ever been to that point. I really enjoyed it. I was in love and my heart was broken when we broke up. And then I started writing in my journal and eventually I was inspired to put all of those writings to music. And the only thing was we had like 15 or 16 songs, way too many songs unless you're Prince, for one album. And so we, we decided to break them up uh, to reflect the beginning, the middle, and the end of the relationship. And so we have three albums, the beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and this one is the first one, which is the beginning of the relationship, A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers. Um, 
and the other two will be released later you know, in a year or so. We're gonna release them over the course of a year because that's how long the, the relationship lasted. And so the first single is Best Sex. The album comes out, I'm not sure when people will hear this, but the, the album's out by now probably. Yes. Um, and the, uh, the first single was Best Sex, which performed very well. Uh, people seem to really um, be to notice that there's a difference in my style. Uh, and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and Best Sex, I've seen the video, I've listened to it. Is it, it's just what I think it is like, okay, we're looking for love, but like, let's just have great sex while we're looking for love. Or am I off well, base? Um, you're not off base. Uh, I was, I wasn't looking for love when I experienced the, the things that started best sex. I wanted to give people a full, a, a kind of a realistic, honest, full view of what my love life was like and some of my experiences. And I wanted to be able to give them an understanding of what things can be like for a transgender woman of color. And at the same time, I wanted other transgender women of color to, to have music and a song by an artist that, you know, that they can identify with. Because we, we don't really get to hear trans women singers historically. There, we can't name any 10, 20, 30 years ago, you know, that were mainstream. And so, you know, I, I'm not mainstream, but I've had some mainstream successes. And this was the best way for me to be able to put out an honest record. People could get, take a look inside uh, what it's like for a trans woman. So best sex just really focuses on the casual sex, the swipe left, swipe right, hookup scene culture, uh, where people are looking for, you know, skin to skin contact, but not necessarily looking for anything deeper. And again, pardon the pun. Um, and so that's, I think that is something that's relatable to a lot of people. Um, in this fast paced world, we don't always have the time to stop and, and really experience love. So best sex is about the single life before my relationship. That makes sense. What about the acting you've done? I know you were in Pose, you were in Ugly Betty. Do you love acting? Uh, of course I love acting. I love performing. Performing period brings me joy. So um, acting, I love to do. What about like Pose? I mean, Pose to me is an amazing show. You know, it's, I think it's the largest transgender cast out of any show that's ever existed. You know, like has the trans community, like in your opinion, like, I mean, it's come far, like it has a long, like, tell me about that. Like, has it come far? Does it have a long way to go with shows like both. Pose? And I think both. I think that the folks in the trans community have come a long way. People understand that we exist now and don't want to, and, 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 you know, so that's great. I do think that there's much further to go in the world of, and, and, and all aspects, film and television and life, you know? Um, and so I think putting out art by, you know, one way for people who don't live in this world to understand people in this world is to see us as often as possible doing as many different things as we can do. Um, exercising our talents, our skills. And so that's, that's what I want to try to do. Whether I'm acting or whether I'm putting out an album, uh, you know, I want people to, to be able to see the real me. And so this, I'm really proud of this record. And I think that people are, 
going to be able to see something different because I've had albums out before I was on Drag Race. Since I was on Drag Race, people know me for like their little Drag Race things that they saw me do. But that's not my full, that's not me. That's just a, something I did. And so this is me, this album, Girl Like Me, by Just My Lovers. Is the album, does it change musically, you know, because it's a trilogy and like it's the three steps, it's, yes. Yeah, it, the first one is very sweet. And then it gets a little, again, then it, then it, it changes with the stages of the relationship. There's some angry, spoiler alert, say, there's the some, there's some just, angry, yeah. <laughs> I'm here for all the angry, just bring it on. I'm, I'm like okay with that. <laughs> all in due time. I'm okay. Is there a part of like the business that you like the best? Like, I mean, you're focused on the music now. Like, do you love doing music more than acting or you just love it all? I really love it all for different reasons. You know, they bring something different. You know, they're obviously, um, you, you, you can sing and write when, when, for music and then acting is generally more about you, you know, find, bringing yourself to a role rather than bringing, you know, than bringing yourself to other people, it's about bringing yourself to a role. So it's something different, quite literally, but it's great. And just because I also am obsessed with this show, you were on Ugly Betty for what? Like one episode? I saw that you were like, how I was, was in that? one episode. Mm -hmm. Was it with it was, Judith I mean, Lighty? it was long. It was very difficult. <laughs> it was a long, I was like, some of us were falling asleep while the cameras were rolling because it was a very late night. Um, I didn't really have a connection with any of the stars or anything. I wish I could be like, I became friends. I didn't. <laughs> I just didn't know if you had like, you know, just, it was a yeah. classic show. I have met Judith Light. Um, she's excellent, but I didn't meet her that day. I don't even think she was in that scene. Oh yeah, she might've been, she was in the scene. Everyone was there. Um, and so I think we said hi to a few people. RuPaul was, was there. Um, and yeah, I don't, but I, it was so long ago, I barely remember. I barely remember it. I'm so sorry. Did you watch Pose before you were on it? Like, is that? Yeah, yeah, I'd watched the full, I'm a huge fan of the show. I watched the first season and was surprised to get a call to audition for the second season. And, and I was very happy to do so. And through this music that's out now, it's very personal. People could learn more about you through your music. 100%. I hope that they do, you know. Uh, I, again, I want, you know, I remember being young and a young queer person and not having anywhere to turn, not knowing where to go, what to do, who to talk to, what, what to think, how, how do I do this or that? Like, I had all these questions and no answers. And so now I think it's a, it's a different world now, but I'd like to be able to contribute to people being able to at least see some examples of different people doing their thing that they can feel inspired themselves. And as we wrap up, talk to me about Pep Talks. Pep Talks is a brand new show. It's a weekly interview show where I uh, invite my favorite celebrity friends on each week to talk about black movie classics. Black movies that most people probably didn't either want to see or didn't occur to them that they should see or never tried to see that now after 2020, everybody's got a different point of view, they are more willing to see and that they should, because these are some great movies. Uh, and so we have movies like Poetic Justice and we just watch American Gangster and we're gonna have Do the Right Thing. And, uh, Friday, of course, everyone's already seen Friday. Uh, and so we're gonna watch all of them, some serious, some comedy. Uh, we have guests, uh, we just, 
next, uh, last week was, this week rather, was Shea Coulee. Uh, we have Monet Exchange coming up, Manila Luzon. We had Alaska and Bob at our uh, opening premiere night. And so I think it's really great. People can catch it on Twitch or um, my Patreon if, you're, if you want to see all of the, the back episodes. I love it. I think it's a great idea. Do you think, as we wrap up, this will be the last question. Like, do you think, you know, like you've referred to like 2020 and especially like Head Over Heels, like it might have had a longer run. Like, do you really think like when the world is fully opened, who knows what that means? Who knows when that will be, if that's even going to happen? Like, do you think this has been a year of change? Like that it's- Oh, no, I hope so. Either that or just some kind of crazy dream. I mean, if we're not sleeping, then we, then there's definitely been change for the better and worse. But I think um, the change, I guess I'd rather say that some horrible things have happened, which have inspired great change. And I, and I think that it's the change is just starting. And I think we have to keep up, you know, it's not just automatic. We have to tend to the change, but I do think it is going to continue. That's great. And is there anything we haven't covered here today that you would like to discuss? I like to give people a chance at the end if I didn't bring something up. No, uh, I feel like we, it was pretty, we, we, we ran the gamut. <laughs> I, I needed to get to know you more, Peppermint. I appreciate that. So I know you're busy. I will let you go. Where can everyone find you on social media? And thank you for taking the time again. Absolutely. People can check me out at Peppermint247 on all socials, including my Twitch and my uh, uh, Patreon, which is where they can see Pep Talks and my YouTube as well. Uh, where I just released my new video, Best Sex, and am going to release my album for A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers. I love it. I can't wait. And Best Sex is so catchy. It's great. It's great. (laughs) Everyone should listen to this. And I can't wait for the album. And honestly, Peppermint, thank you so much for taking your time. See you later. You too. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.